Today we're coming back to our series after taking a couple of weeks off. Uh, the series that we started clear back in, in February. We've had some breaks here and there. Uh, I think some God-ordained breaks at different times. But um, just to refresh our memories a little bit as we jump back into this, we started this series in Isaiah chapter 6, and that forms the outline for where we've been headed. Um, remember back to Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was transported into the throne room of God. And that look at God's greatness prompted an inward look, right? He says, woe is me, for I am undone. And then after confessing his sin and receiving cleansing for that sin, the Lord gave Isaiah an outward look. He said, who will I send and who will go for us? And how did Isaiah respond? Here am I, Lord, send me. And that's our end game, right? That's where we're headed. That's the goal in mind is that we would get to the point where we say, yes, God, send me. Let me do whatever you want me to do. I want to do your work. We're doing some preparatory work in regards to that as well. We've seen the upward look. We've taken that look. We've seen God and his glory. And now over the next couple of weeks, I want to wrap up this second section, uh, this inward look as we look inside. And I'm thinking we can do it in three weeks. I'd like to finish it here in in June. Um, We'll have a a change on the first Sunday of July, and then we'll get back into that third part right in the middle of camp. That'll be fun. (laughs) Let's see how that all goes. And uh, the Lord will give strength, and we'll work through it, and I'll be thankful for that. This middle section is a section of introspection, isn't it? It's an inward look, and that's been a challenge. It's not an easy thing to look inside. It's not always an easy thing to allow the holiness of God to shine into our hearts and point out things where we're struggling, Um, but it's a necessary part of spiritual growth, isn't it? Uh, We need to do this periodically. We've looked extensively at what it means to repent, to have this, this change of mind that results in a change of life that is demonstrated over a period of time. Uh, the idea of repentance and mourning over our sin, true biblical sorrow for our sin. And I guess if you think with me, you'd probably agree that much of what we've focused on has been dealing with it in a vertical relationship. It's our relationship with God and making sure that that is right. And that's got to be priority. Remember what David said in Psalm 51 after he was getting his heart right with God? Against you and you only have I sinned. It's not minimizing the sins that he'd committed against Uriah and against Bathsheba and against the nation of Israel. But in his heart, he understood that it was a relationship with God that he had damaged most. And he wanted to get that back right. And so we've been focusing on this vertical level. Over the next three weeks, I want us to focus more now on the horizontal level. What does this look like in our relationships one with another? How do we reconcile and repair broken relationships on the human level? How do we handle hurts biblically? And I'll be honest with you, there's a little bit of, I don't know why this seems more daunting to me in this situation than it does when I'm with the teenagers. Maybe it's because I'm older than the teenagers. I'm just going to leave that right there. (laughs) Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Um, But I'm wrestling with this a little more because I don't want this to come across like I'm the younger guy and I have all the answers to this. Um, I struggle in these areas like you do. All of us have experienced hurts. All of us have given hurts. Um, But God has a way prescribed for us to handle those in a God-honoring way. So the next few weeks, this is going to be a kind of where we live series of messages. It's it's rubber meeting the road. Um, And it may stir some things up in your heart that you haven't thought about for a long time. Um, let's, Let's work through these things properly. Let's, let's take that next step. And I'm going to talk a lot about this. We're only going to get halfway through this today. I know that. I'm, I'm just going to be up front with you. But we will resolve it next week. 
Okay, so if, if you're here today and you leave and you're like, wow, that was heavy, come back next week because we can help put the pieces together. And if you can't be here next week, let me know and we can get you the recording. Um, you know, I've been a, a youth pastor now for pushing 25 years. And that's a long time uh, to work with teenagers. I've dealt with this subject of, of bitterness, uh, getting hurts taken care of rightly. I've dealt with it on the teenage level many, many times. But I have not heard that many messages from a pulpit dealing with these topics. And I'm not totally sure why. I don't know if it's delicate. I don't know if we're just afraid to talk about it. I don't know if, if we magically just outgrow it when we become adults. Is that what happens? Uh, we no longer get hurt, and we no longer have our feelings hurt, or, or just have serious things that happen to us. I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes we just, we just don't want to go there. <laughs> and I don't know if this is a good choice or not. I might be stepping in way over my head, but I haven't been doing this long enough to know better, so here we go, and let's just see what God does. I, I wrestled with it this week. I wrestled with the timing, and I'll just be up front with you guys. I, I know many of you guys are going through some hard things, and my, my purpose today, my goal is not to add on to pile on. I trust this won't do this. Um, that's not what I want. I, I think this is where God wants me to go, and I think this is the timing. I pray that it will, that it will be a benefit and that it will help as we work through some of these things from a biblical perspective. You know, I, I get the fact that it's an uncomfortable topic. Um, we don't like to talk some of these things through. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, these hurts have been a long time in the past, and I'm better off just leaving them buried in the past and just moving forward, leaving the past in the past. Doesn't the Bible talk about that? Well, it does. It does. And I'll say it this way. If, if those hurts have been forgiven, if they've been handled biblically, absolutely leave them in the past. Don't allow Satan to dredge some of those things back up in the course of what we talk about over the next couple of weeks. If they've been handled properly, they're done, they're in the past, they're forgiven. Leave them there. But if they've just been stuffed down, if they've not been handled biblically, if you've just put them out of sight, out of mind, and you just keep stomping on them to keep them down there so they don't pop back up, if they're just further down in the, the recesses of your mind, then that's dangerous ground to be on. We can't just avoid these things. And I think we'll see why as we get into this study a little bit. And I think I can say it this way. If in the course of what we're talking about here, the things that maybe you've had hurts in the past, if they've been handled biblically, I think God will give you a peace as we're working through this. I think he'll reassure your heart that, yeah, those things are done. They're settled in the past. You don't have to deal with that again. It's a one and done. It's, it's taken care of. But if he brings other things back to your mind, then those are things that maybe we need to work for. Why is it dangerous to stuff it down into the heart, into the recesses of our heart? Because bitterness is a root, and we'll see that here in Hebrews chapter 12. And what happens when you bury a root? Eventually, the water is going to come, and when water gets on that root, it's going to grow, and it's going to come back to the surface. But if we deal with it properly, we can eradicate the root. Um, I can go out in the yard all day long and pick yellow heads off of dandelions, but am I accomplishing anything? <laughs> Sounds bad, but I actually paid my girls a penny a dandelion when they were little to pull the heads off of dandelions. I didn't have time to deal with the real problem, but I didn't want to look at the yellow and have them multiply. So every day they go out there, and it cost me some money. Uh, they were pretty good at finding those yellow heads. Um, now I've got two dogs that eat them, and that takes care of that problem. But I don't know what happened. Never mind. We won't go there. Anyway, um, that's the lack of sleep and the filter that's not there. But I caught it just in time. <laughs> It's not, a, it's not a comfortable topic, but I think it's a necessary topic. And let me give you a couple of reasons for that. Number one, peace and unity are vital to the health of our fellowship. Would you agree with that? 
Peace and unity is vital to the health of our fellowship as a church, and bitterness stifles both. Bitterness is at direct odds to both of those things. And so if we're going to enjoy peace and unity, we've got to deal with this topic. Number two, bitterness has the potential to affect each one of us. And I'll say it stronger than that. Bitterness will affect each one of us at some point in our lives. It will. Because we live in a world of hurt. I I heard an older pastor, someone that had been in the ministry for years and years and years, and he made this comment. He goes, I believe bitterness is the spirit sin struggled with most in our churches today. And that hit me. If that's the case, then why aren't we talking about it? Then why aren't we trying to work through it? I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. Bitterness stems from hurt. And there's not a person in this room that hasn't been hurt, myself included. And I think we'd be honest, if we're honest, we'd say that there's not a person in this hurt that, a church that hasn't hurt somebody else. So from whichever side of the coin you're looking at, it affects each one of us. And since hurt happens regularly, we need to know how to handle them properly, whether we're on the giving end or the receiving end. The third reason that we need to deal with this topic is is this. The way that we deal with the hurts of life will determine whether God can use that hurt for our good and his glory or not. And that's serious. And you might say, well, Pastor Mark, I know there's a verse in Romans, right? God works everything for his good, everything together for good. And that's true. And that verse is accurate, and it's right, but the verse goes on to say to those who uh, love God and are called according to his purpose. How do we demonstrate that we love God? We obey him. Forgiveness is an act of obedience. And so I can stifle that work of God in my heart, what he wants to do through that hurt, by my lack of forgiveness towards somebody else. Does that make sense? And so whether God can use that hurt for good in my life, God wants to do that. He desires to use it for good, but my response to those hurts will determine whether I become bitter or whether God can make me better. That's why it's important. You know, when I was younger, high school age, and then on into college, had counseling classes, and then even my first few years of ministry, I never really struggled with bitterness. And honestly, I was pretty black and white in those days, and I didn't understand how other people struggled with bitterness. Because really, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, isn't it? Somebody hurts you, you take it to them, you get it reconciled, you forgive them, and you just move on. I mean, that's black and white. How hard is that? (laughs) I didn't struggle with it because I'd never really been hurt. I mean, I had all the times growing up in high school where I got stuffed in my locker and, you know, embarrassed in front of people and all the the typical things, but God blessed me with a pretty thick skin. Those things just kind of rolled off, and it didn't really affect me like it might somebody else. Um, But as I got older... There were some times where I've been hurt. And it's at that point that I begin to understand that, yes, this is a bigger deal. And it gives me more patience for those that might be struggling with this themselves. I see it from a different vantage point now. I do understand. It wasn't until I had experienced those hurts that I, that I understood what people are going through. And I'm not as black and white and dogmatic. The cure for bitterness is still the same. <laughs> those verses still mean what they mean, right? It's still there in Scripture, but it can be more of a process to work through it and to get to the point of healing. I remember wrestling with this many years ago. And we were hurt. My wife and I both were hurt. And we were hurt deeply. And we were hurt deeply by somebody that we didn't expect to be hurt from. And it was hard. And we knew all the verses about forgiveness. And we knew we were supposed to do it. And so we finally get to that point where we surrendered and we forgave. But it didn't make it go away. It wasn't magically gone. There was no Staples easy button. 
<laughs> push the button and forgive, and all of a sudden I don't struggle with it anymore. The hurts were still there. The memories kept flooding back. I kept replaying conversations over and over in my mind. And every time I saw that person, it would dredge it all back up again. And I wondered, what is wrong with me? Did I not really forgive this person? And I was reminded from Scripture that, yes, I had forgiven, but it's a struggle. And sometimes it's a daily recommitment of that back to the Lord and reaffirming that choice to forgive. I, I believe that victory and lasting victory is possible in this area, no matter how hard the hurt was, no matter how deep it went. And I also don't want to trivialize what some of you have been through because there are differences in levels of hurt. There are differences in amount of time that you've been hurt. And all of those factor into how we respond to these and how much time it might take for healing. But we've got to come from the perspective that God wants us to have victory and he's given us everything we need to have that victory if we'll trust him for it. I believe victory is possible. I don't care how bad you've been hurt. Hurt does not have to define you because God's grace is still operational. And as long as God's grace is operating, he can give us the victory that we need in those areas. Let's turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll just jump into this topic uh, by, by looking at this passage real quickly through its context, I don't want to, to take a huge amount of time here, but this is going to set the stage, and we're going to come back to this passage um, regularly over the next couple of weeks, as well as some other passages of Scripture. Um, but let's, let's, let me read a couple of verses here quickly, and then let's put it in its context. I'll make a few comments here, and then we'll, we'll get into our outline. Uh, back down in, in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says this, "...follow peace with all men and holiness." without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And then he goes on, the passage continues on in the same vein, but we're going to have all we can do to cover this area. Right now we're not going to get into the rest of that, the fornication and and profane person like Esau. Uh, we, We can't get into that here today. But follow peace with all men, follow holiness with all men, look diligently lest we fail of the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness spring up and trouble us, and thereby many be defiled. Father, I pray that you would guide my words today. Uh, Father, help me to speak clearly and accurately. Father, I pray that this message and the ones to follow would actually end up being an encouraging thing as we seek to get victory in these areas. And Father, for some, I pray that it will be preventative medicine. We're not struggling with it right now, but hurts might come in the future, and this will give us the tools we need to handle that. Father, I pray that that would be done today in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at chapter 12, I I love this chapter, and the more I read through it and the more I'm comparing things, the more I see it just all work together. Um, So let's jump into this a little bit in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us, and let us do what? Run with patience the race that is set before us. The spiritual life is compared to a race, and it's one that we need to run with patience. Uh, How many of you ran track or uh, uh, track and field or uh, what's the other name for it? The long distance one. I'm tired. Cross country. Did you guys run that? Either of those? I'm tired a little bit today. Nobody? A couple of you guys did? All right. You understand what I'm talking about. It's a race and the idea of this spiritual race. And it says we're to look at, um, look at those that ran before us. We're compassed about by a great cloud of witnesses. He talks about them in Hebrews chapter 11. We've got heroes of the faith that we can look to as our examples. But most importantly, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We look to him and 
And by the way, as we think about Jesus and we think about the bitterness that we're going to look at here in a little bit, did Jesus experience some hurts? <laughs> well, yeah, I would say so. And so as I'm working through that process, I'll look to him and see how he handled that. And I can work through it from that perspective. We look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. You come down a little further in the passage and you see that there'll be times that we experience chastening from God during this race. There's times where we may not lay aside every sin or lay aside every weight, and so God brings discipline into our lives. And those aren't comfortable times, but they're good times because uh, it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And it shows me that God loves me. He disciplines me out of love. And the end result is I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it can be a long and difficult road, but it's for our benefit. And then you look down later in the passage, and it says that we need to be encouraging one another. Um, Look down in... I just lost where I'm at. Verse 12. As we go through these times of chastening, uh, it's difficult. It says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The idea is sometimes we can be so overloaded with these burdens that we're struggling. So come along one, outside one another and help lift their arms up and, and strengthen their knees as they're wobbly and about ready to fall over and make straight paths, remove the obstacles from those that are struggling so that they can be healed and they can get through this properly. And it's at that context, at the tail end of that, that we see verse 14. Follow peace with all men. And that's a command. The word follow there means to pursue diligently. It's sticking with the analogy of the race. It's catch the person in front of you. (laughs) You're playing tag with somebody. Remember that as a kid? You're playing tag, and they're running all over the place. They're cutting corners. You're trying to cut off and catch them. Uh, That's the idea. Pursue it that diligently, that seriously. Catch that person in front of you. Pursue peace with all men. Do you see the difference between peace and bitterness? They're opposite because bitterness comes from conflict and conflict and peace are two different things. And so follow peace with all men. It reminds me of of Romans chapter 14, as much as lieth in you, live at peace with all men. It's not always possible. But I think we can say it this way, though it may not always be possible, it should never be, I should never be the one preventing it. Right? I needed to try to live at peace with all men. Goes on to say, I'm to follow holiness with all men. Um, I think the thought of a clear conscience is here. If I'm living a holy life, I'm free from guilt. Possibly the idea of seeking holiness as opposed to vengeance. And sometimes when I'm angry and bitter at someone, that's what I want more than anything. But then notice what the verse says follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. When I don't follow peace and holiness with men, if I don't pursue it that way, what's, what's going to happen? It's going to affect my view of God. I'm not going to see God the way he truly is. It's going to distort my view of who he is. In what way? Well, it distorts my view of his sovereignty, first of all. God, why did you let this into my life? <laughs> is God in control or not? It's going, to, it's going to warp my perspective on that. It's going to affect my view of his faithfulness in my life, his mercy, I'm not going to see his grace accurately. I'm not going to understand true forgiveness if I'm not following peace and holiness with all men. Going on to the passage, it says, we are to look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. The idea of looking diligently is this. We're to look inwardly to see if we have this root of bitterness. Inspect carefully, probe deeply. And there's a bit of warning contained in this idea. It wouldn't be hard to use the word beware, watch out, be alert, focus on this. This is important. Uh, A couple of you, one of you guys, would you turn the fans on just a little bit? 
I'm noticing a lot of warmth out there, and I know we're just all going to fall asleep together, and that, you know, be a wonderful thing, I guess, but then we won't get through this, so there we go. Get a little air moving, and that'll help. Is it time to pull the fans down from upstairs? I think it might be time for that. Um, all right, we'll, we'll get to that. Do your best to stay comfortable here as we work through this together. <clears throat> the passage goes on, and it talks about failing of the grace of God. And that's an interesting concept, and we'll come back to that and look at that a little more closely. But I think the truth here is that when I, don't, when I get bitter against somebody else, I'm failing both to understand the grace of God in my life, and I'm failing to appropriate that grace properly in the life of somebody else. Now, the two go together. And it talks about bitterness springing up, picture of a plant growing in soil, the idea of here's the root, and now finally it got everything it needed, and so it sprouts to the surface, and it can shoot forth. <laughs> We were down in the Butte area, and every time I've driven through there, it's brown and nasty looking. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're driving through there, and it's just brown hillsides. But it had so much rain, it was green. I've never seen it as green as it was down there. It got rain, and what happened? This new growth just shot to the surface. That's the idea here. There, it's a positive thing. When it's with bitterness, it's not a positive thing. And the verse goes on to say that bitterness will eventually trouble me. The word there is used in this passage. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. So it makes it hard to cross-reference and see where else it might be used. So you look into some secular Greek, and, and here's ways it's used. It's the idea of to disturb. It can be the idea of confuse. It can be the idea of to cause an uproar. Have you had times where you're battling this in your mind, and it's like your mind is all in an uproar because of the hurt? It, it, the word really fits. It can mean to, to vex. It can even mean to molest. It's, it's a word that's even used in the context of somebody that's, that's being harassed by a demon in a secular Greek setting. It's a powerful word. And so bitterness will trouble you, but it goes on and, and it says in the, the last part of this verse that thereby many will be defiled. And it's the idea here of taking dye and dropping it into a pool of water and it hits the water and it's concentrated for a moment, but then what happens? It begins to spread out and that one bit of dye contaminates the whole, it affects the whole so this is just kind of a summary. This gets our mind thinking in the right direction. We'll come back and look at many of these verses and phrases individually. Uh, but let's set the stage for this a little bit. Let's define some terms. Number one, the definition of bitterness. And I don't even know that we need to do this. We understand what it is. Um, but I think it's a starting point. Uh, number one, it's strong feelings of hatred, resentment, or animosity against someone. Strong feelings, exhibiting intense animosity, being harshly resentful. Oftentimes, it leads to us being rather unpleasant in the way we interact with people. The Old Testament word is sourced in the idea of discontent. That's interesting. How is discontent and bitterness related? There's a connection between the two. It ties, sin, uh, it ties the sin of bitterness to the idea of the root sin of pride, I think. The New Testament word gives the idea of anger or deep resentment. Um, think back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Does this passage ring a bell? Um, be ye kind one to another. Didn't you teach that verse to your kids as soon as they were old enough to, to memorize scripture? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as Christ has forgiven us, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. What's the verse right before that? Let no bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking be named once, once among you. That's the, that's the put off and the put on. The idea of anger and deep resentment is tied to bitterness. It's the idea that I've been wronged and I don't want to let it go. Have you ever been there? Because it hurt so bad and you just wanted to pay that person back. One of the counseling classes I had in college uh, labeled it this way. They called it, said bitterness is harbored hurt. 
harbored hurt. I've been hurt. Rather than dealing with it properly, I just kind of take that hurt and I bring it into a secret cove in my heart and I allow it to drop anchor. I allow it just to sit there. And usually it does more than just sit there. So that's the definition. That's what we're talking about here today. Let's look, secondly, at the development of bitterness. The development of bitterness. It usually follows a six-fold progression. It may not go through these exactly the same way every time. Uh, but I think it's, it's safe to say as we think about this progression, number one, the earlier we catch it in the progression, the easier it's going to be to gain victory. Does that make sense? The sooner I jump on this, I mean, if somebody hurts me and the next day I go and I, and I reconcile it, doesn't that make sense that that's going to be a lot easier to solve and put together than if I let it go on for a year or two years or three years? So the earlier I can catch it in the progression, the easier it will be to gain victory. The further we proceed, the harder it becomes because the roots begin to spread out and they wrap around and they go deeper and they gain a deeper foothold. So think about this with me as far as this progression and see if this resonates with you. It, it did with me. Number one, there's a personal offense. That's where it starts, right? It's harbored hurt. I had to have a hurt. Something came into my life that was hurtful. And I'm going to say this, and, and don't take this wrong. I'm going to say a hurt came into my life either real or imagined. Have you ever had a time where you got offended with something somebody did, and you came to find out later that they didn't mean anything by it? It was unintentional. Maybe they misspoke. Maybe you misunderstood what they said. Uh, but it wasn't deliberate for sure. And that's what I mean by unimagined. We'll talk about that here in a second. So number one, the offense could be real. It could be a person that really hurt you. Or it could be a circumstance that really hurt you. Hurt can come in so many different ways. It can be physical and verbal. It can be psychological. It can be sexual abuse. It could be an attack on your reputation. There's a hundred different ways that hurts can come in this world. We live in a hurtful and a hurting world. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament as an example of someone that was hurt by people. Um, can you imagine what that must have been like? His brothers, the ones, his own flesh and blood taking him and throwing him down in that pit and then finally selling him as a slave to these people that were passing by on their way to Egypt. That was profound hurt that Joseph experienced. If you want to, want to read through an incredible case study of somebody that conquered uh, bitterness and worked through that and, and gave forgiveness, it's a wonderful story. But it might be a person that hurts you. Secondly, it might be a circumstance that really hurts you. The situation is tied more to a situation than a person. Um, I was thinking about Naomi in the Old Testament from the book of Ruth. Um, she was hurt, but wasn't by a person. What happened? They moved to a foreign country because there was a famine in the land. And, and when they were there, what happened in her life? Her husband died. Her two sons had married people from that area, and both those sons died. Are those hurts? Absolutely those are hurts. They're real, but it wasn't caused by a person. It was the circumstances of life. And when she came back to her homeland, everybody said, oh, look, there's Naomi. And what does she say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And then this phrase just kind of boggles my mind, but it really is so much truth in it. Call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. Who was she blaming these bad circumstances on? On the Lord. And that's really the bottom line for us, especially in this area of circumstances. There's other examples that we can give, but for sake of time, we'll just move forward here in the lesson. Most real offenses will fit into one or two categories. It could be something like this. I wanted it, and I didn't get it. 
if you wanted to jot down in the margin the idea of lust or desire, there was something that I wanted and I didn't get it. Has that ever caused anger or bitterness for you? Well, it has for me. And that could be a lot of different areas. So it could be I wanted it and I didn't get it, or it could be I had it and it was taken away. That's where Naomi was. She had a husband. She had two boys. Those things were taken away. It can be a position. It can be a possession. It can be a person. Uh, Lots of different ways that this can manifest itself out. But if you boil it all down, one of those two things is going on. And here's the danger. If it's an area of loss, I had it and it was taken away by implication. What might I be saying if I get bitter? It was God that removed it. If it's something that I didn't have and I wanted it, by implication, God refused it in my life. And that's, that's where this ends up going as we delve into this further. So it could be a, an offense that's real. Secondly, it could be an offense that's imagined. Uh, the, person that, the person hurts you. You perceive something that they did or that they said, and, and the person didn't know anything about it. They didn't mean anything by it. Um, it. It wasn't intentional. But your feelings got hurt or you misrepresented something, and now you're angry about it. I, I read an illustration about a pastor who was preaching on the subject of extravagance. Um, and he was trying to pick, pick an illustration that would be so far out of the realm of possibility that it wouldn't affect anybody in the congregation. He was doing his best to not offend somebody. And so he said, it's like a person not being content with a nice piano. They've got to go out and buy a concert grand piano, thinking, oh, that's not going to affect anybody. Didn't, he didn't know the fact that somebody in his congregation had just purchased a concert grand piano that week. Now, is she going to take that personally? How is she not going to take that personally? And so in, I could just see her in the pew fuming. How in the world did he know that? How does he say that from the pulpit? You can, you can just hear the conversation in her mind, right? He didn't mean anything by it. He hadn't intended to offend her at all. And fortunately for the two of them, they were able to, to get it reconciled and get it worked out. She had a sweet spirit through it. And once he found out what he had done and, and how it affected her, uh, they went and talked and they got it right. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You know, it's that you walked right by me and you didn't say hi. (laughs) Didn't you even see me there? You drove right past me on the road and you didn't even wave. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest with you guys. I get tunnel vision. So if it's me and I go past you and I don't wave, it's not personal. I honestly didn't see you. Well, most of yeah, I think so. I think I can say that. I can say that. I don't think I've ever, like, looked the other way when someone was coming down the road in the car. But it might be the simple as you had a new haircut and you didn't look the same. Or, you know, you used to drive a pickup truck and now you drive a Prius. And they're like, that guy wouldn't be caught dead in a Prius. That can't be who that is. You know, who knows what the situation might be, right? But sometimes we can, we can get offended. I wonder if we were to put all the offenses in our lives in two piles, real or imagined, which pile would be larger? You know, sometimes it's those little things, those pesky little things that can get under our skin and cause trouble. I think we should be careful not to be overly sensitive and create offenses where none was intended. And those things like that, we should be able to get a thick enough skin to just let those roll off and just let those go. But if we can't, then we need to go follow through and deal with it biblically. I'll say this as well, I think, in this context. If you're a person that's been hurt deeply or for a prolonged period of time, you probably will struggle with this imagined offense thing more than some others. And that makes sense, right? Your mind's kind of going that way, and and it's going to be harder for you in that area. Um, But knowing that going in can help you. Am I really reading this properly? Am I really understanding what this person is saying? All right, i got to keep moving here, looking at the clock, sorry. Um, So the development of bitterness, first of all, there's an offense. Secondly, it's an offense not dealt with. Rather than dealing with the offense biblically, that hurt is left to fester. 
And I use that word on purpose because that's exactly what happens. If I don't take care of it properly, it's going to fester. And you know what it's like when you have a wound that festers. It gets kind of nasty. And this can do the same thing. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. If it's a minor offense or an, even an, an imagined offense, you might be able to just let it go. And I think, again, we should start there. Try to just let it go. I'll, try to allow God to, to love or let love cover that sin. Give the benefit of the doubt. If not, I need to deal with it. But if I don't deal with it, I'll go on to number three. We have an offense. We have an offense. We don't deal with number three, an offense that becomes the subject of brooding. Brooding means to dwell on it. It's kind of the same idea of meditate. It's like a dog worrying over a bone or like that cow out in the field. They keep bringing it up and chewing on it over and over again. I'm mulling it over and over in my mind. Rehashing conversations. Have you ever been here? When I rehash those conversations after the fact, guess what? I think of the perfect thing to say at the perfect time, and I win every single argument. <laughs> every one. But I, my mind rehashes that. But that's brooding on it. And that's not good. That's going to cause the situation to get worse. You're like, I can't believe they did that. Who do they think they are anyway? And those things, we may not be saying it out loud, but in our mind, that's exactly what's going on. I'll have a word for him next time I see him. Boy, let me add him. And now we can do it all on social media, can't we? <laughs> That's even more dangerous. The word also means to sit on the nest, to brood. For what purpose? To hatch the eggs. <laughs> and that leads us into number four. The offense that becomes a subject of brooding will allow other offenses to accumulate due to oversensitivity. Now I've been working through this, and all I can see is what they did to me that was wrong, and everything now is viewed in light of that previous offense, and they can't do anything right. Because everything they do is now viewed through that lens. Have you been there? I've been there. <laughs> and sometimes it's from an imagined offense, and I'm, and I'm making stuff up because I see what they're doing, and I'm only seeing my side of it. Even if they do something nice, all you can see is the wrong motive. You know, they hurt you, and maybe it wasn't even intentional, but then they invite you and your, your spouse over for dinner. And now your mind's racing. Well, what do they want? What's going on here? And now you're, you're trying to manipulate the conversation. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to fall for that one. I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not going to fall for that one. I'm not going to go over and eat lunch, supper at their house and then, you know, give in and forgive them. I'm not going to do that. You know, we, we might struggle with that area. I heard somebody say, if you get bitter enough at somebody, you'd turn down a million dollars if it came from the person that hurt you. And I've read stories that way. We're out of spite, things happen, and sometimes they don't even remember what the original argument was about. Number five, in this progression, the sense of wrong now becomes life-dominating. The hurt now consumes you. It's all that you think about. For some, it becomes their whole identity. That's who they become is this person that was hurt. It turns into a victim mentality, and it's hard to shake that sometimes. At that point, you're being dominated by that hurt. And as we see, this can lead to serious problems physically and emotionally and spiritually. The final phase in this progression, number six, the spirit of bitterness now reveals itself openly. What once began as a little root has now sprung up into an aggressively growing plant. Think Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> Those little seeds out there, it didn't take much to start, but now it is growing and it's out of control. The offense might even be unknown to other people, but the hurt that you're feeling is now being taken out on other people. And that's what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 15, many will be defiled. 
It won't just affect you, it'll affect other people. All right, let's move on to the diagnosis of bitterness. We'll run through this fairly quickly. Uh, what's it look like? Um, just a couple things. I don't remember if I left them in your notes or not, but these are just some characteristics. Uh, one of my counseling classes, we worked through several different life-dominating sins, and, and they just gave kind of, a, here's a snippet of characteristics that may be true of you as you're working through this. Um, argumentative, easily irritated, getting angry with little cause, having a sharp tongue, feeling like you're being talked about because, I mean, you're thinking about this other person, so you assume other people are thinking and talking about you. can lead to a pessimistic outlook and maybe some moodiness, maybe some immature attitudes and actions. Think about Shimei in this regard. Remember, we just read about him not too long ago. Uh, he was in the family of Saul, and God took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. That affected Shimei because now he's no longer in the line of the king. Right? So maybe people and circumstances affecting him. How did he respond when David ended up running from Absalom? Was that a little some immaturity on his behalf as he's out there throwing dust in the air and throwing rocks at the king? Um, we can see that, that happen here at times. Nervousness, being distrustful, contentious. Um, sometimes there's accusations involved. We find fault. We shift the blame. Um, if it's a teenager, and it, not just teenagers, but I see it with young people, um, especially if they've been hurt by an authority, they become cynical of authority. And they, they don't want to trust anybody that way. Sometimes they become rebellious towards their parents. Uh, lots of different ways that it can flesh itself out in our lives. But let's look at, at four thoughts here under the diagnosis. Number one, uh, an inappropriate amount of emotion attached to a minor offense. If that happens in your life on a regular basis, there may be bitterness going on in your life. A small offense happens and you just go ballistic. You blow up over something small. One person said you go mosquito hunting with an elephant gun. <laughs> That's going to cause some damage. And you might get the mosquito, probably won't, but you do a lot of damage, collateral damage. All I said was, you burn the toast again, honey, and she hasn't spoken to me for three days. <laughs> I don't think it was a toaster that was the problem. The toaster might have smoked out the problem. You did something, and you better go and try to make it right. These blow-ups sometimes can happen during competition. I saw that a lot with our teenagers. We had one young, young person, and I've got to be careful. I don't want to give away necessarily who it was, but, boy, every time we'd play an activity... Uh, he would just be on the, urge of, the verge of anger every time. And if something went a little bit wrong, he would just blow up. And it happened week after week after week. And finally, we got some time together. And I found out he had had some incredibly serious hurts in his life that he was struggling with. And he didn't know how to handle it. And so it just kind of came out when those nerves got touched, and especially in those times of competition. And, and praise the Lord, we were able to get victory in that area for this young man. Number two. More concerned with scoring points than, for, than settling the problem. You're more concerned with scoring points than for settling the problem. There's no desire to make things right. To say, I'll just never forgive that person for what they did to me. Only concerned with proving who was right and proving who was wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey, you were wrong and I was right. And until you admit that, we have nothing else to talk about. <laughs> well, you can honey it up any way you want, but it's still bitterness. <laughs> with a little honey on top, right? Maybe you're keeping a ledger of wrongs committed against you. Oh, you don't write them down on paper, but in your mind. If so, that's a sense, a sign of bitterness. Number three, a desire for or rejoicing in the misfortune of those that, uh, against whom you're bitter. I think that was one that I struggled with. You wanted to see vengeance taken out on that person. You wanted to see God get them, <laughs> He broke his leg. That's awesome. Sure wish he'd have broke the other one. If you're at that point, you're quite a ways down the progression. Okay? 
You view the misfortunes of others as a sort of revenge and one that you're not going to be able to get in trouble for because you didn't do it, but you're sure thankful that somebody else did it. And you might even get to the point where you say, good job, God, way to go get them. The story of Shimei is a good one here as well. Uh, Proverbs 24, let me just flip over there quickly. It fits well here in this passage to have you look it up on your own, but let me just uh, turn there if I can find it quickly. Proverbs chapter 24. In verse 17, rejoice not when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. That's an interesting concept. The, thing that, the fact that if you die to get vengeance and you rejoice in that on yourself, God may turn and show mercy to this person that he might have judged otherwise himself. Interesting. Maybe you have a secret desire to see this person pay and pay dearly for what they've done. I understand that. We don't believe in karma, but we might kind of take karma at that point and say, I want that to happen. Number four, actions and words that are uncharacteristic. If you're normally very good-natured and kind, that's normally who you are, but now there's physical or verbal outbursts, it's an indication that there might be bitterness going on in your life. Why is that the case? Because when we're hurt, there's raw nerve endings. And we can patch them up and bandage them up and cover them for a time, but eventually that nerve ending is going to get poked. What happens when you have a wound and somebody touches it? It hurts. My wife got sunburned while we were out this last week. And um, I touched it a couple times, and she reacted when I touched it a couple of times. That's going to happen here. The nerve ending is, is exposed, and it's sensitive, and when it gets poked, sometimes violent eruptions can occur. A couple other thoughts under this idea of diagnosis. If every time I think of that person, I get angry, there's probably still bitterness in my heart. When this person's name comes up, I'm more likely to say something negative than something positive. I might be still struggling with bitterness. If I just cannot thank God for this person, I might be struggling. If I rehash their faults, both to myself and to others, it's an indication that I'm still struggling in this area, and I haven't totally resolved it yet and gotten the victory that I need to have. All right, we need to wrap this up. I know this has been a little bit heavy today. We've looked at the definition of bitterness and how it develops and how we can diagnose it in our own lives. Next week, we're going to follow this up, and we're going to look at the danger. That'll be still kind of more on the, on the hard side, but we're going to look at how we can defeat it how we can have victory in this area, how God can, even from past hurts, how God can cleanse and give us victory. Let me encourage you guys this week to spend some time thinking about this. Do what it says here in Hebrews and look diligently in your heart. Ask God to show you what's going on. Are there hurts in your life that remain unresolved? Again, don't dredge something up that's been forgiven and it's in the past. That's not my goal here. And that can happen. That can be a danger. Secondly, ask God to show you if you've hurt someone and never made it right. That's the flip side of the coin that we haven't talked a lot about here. And then pray. And ask God to help you reconcile these relationships. I firmly believe that restoration is possible. If we follow peace and if we follow holiness and if we don't fail of the grace of God. And if God points something out to you this week, please don't ignore the symptoms. I was reminded of that this week. Um, it goes back a couple months ago. Kate and I were out driving her car and there was a funny noise that I was hearing. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Something's not right. And we got back, and we were going to look at it, but she had to run inside and check something. And so I said, well, get me and come back out. We'll, we'll check that out. And then I got busy. She got busy. I didn't really think about it much again. And um, 
You know when you've got a noise and it starts to change and get worse, you don't really notice it because you're conditioned to that sound? Well, Friday night I got a phone call from Caitlin. And she's on the side of the road. And she says, um, well, she's still driving, I guess, at that point. My battery light's on, and I don't have power steering. Should I pull over? <laughs> so I'm like, well, how close are you to home? I don't want to tow it in. You know, I'm, I'm working through that in my mind. And, and she's like, well, I'm kind of at this point. And oh, wait a second. Now my engine light's on, and now it's overheating, and I'm pulling over. <laughs> she gets over to the side of the road. And those of you that are mechanically inclined probably know what's going on. Uh, one of the belt pulleys failed. It just totally froze up and just came apart. And uh, we had to go and we had to work that. God worked out. We had 15 minutes left and we got the part at O'Reilly's and we got it back together. But my point is we ignored the symptom for a long period of time. And then what happened? It became an emergency. And we don't want that to happen in our lives as well. So let me encourage you. If God points something out, let's work through it. As I mentioned earlier, I hope that for many of us this is preventative maintenance. I really do hope that. That it will help us in the future as, as things come into our life that, we're, that right now we're living void of offense. And I pray that that be the case. Uh, but God even wants to use those hurts that happen in your lives for our good, for our growth, and for his glory. And my question is, will you let him do that? Will you respond properly and work through that this week and next week? I pray that you will. Lord, I, I thank you for this topic. I in many ways feel unworthy to be able to speak of this because I've struggled with it and at times I still do. I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your sovereignty that nothing comes into our lives but, but, but it is first filtered through your hands. And Father, you can work every hurt out for our good and for your glory if we'll respond properly. And God, I don't have all the answers, but your word does. And I pray that you would do a work in my heart and in the hearts of each one that's here today as we work through this and, and tackle a topic that's a challenging one to deal with. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for it, the fact that it has answers. And I pray that you'd help us to see them and to find them over the course of this study. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen.